Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max and Liz. This podcast is brought to you by Playful World Ministries. Max, Liz, and all the characters and adventures of the Epic Order of the Seven were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. Oh, and by the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of the Epic Order of the Seven on Jenny's website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. That's epicorderofthe7.com. And don't forget, Jenny has a brand new book out called The Declaration, The Sword, and The Spy. It's her latest in the series of The Epic Order of the Seven and can now be purchased on Amazon.com. That's The Declaration, The Sword, and The Spy. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to hear chapters 15 and 16 from The Ark, The Reed, and The Fire Cloud. And each week, we'll take a visit to Jenny's Corner, where we'll get to hear from Jenny Cody herself, the creator of The Epic Order of the Seven. Jenny will give us the inside scoop on all her stories, her inspiration, how she comes up with these great ideas, and much more. And she'll read letters from her loyal listeners, maybe even yours. Well, let's get started, shall we? Here's Max and Liz. Welcome, lads and lasses. I'm Liz, and he's Max. And we're assuming you already know your own name. Uh, We. Uh, Not like our announcer, lad. I know, right? Uh, I can still hear you. Ah! Stop doing that! As I was about to say, on today's episode, we'll find out how to get back on dry land from the back of a giant whale beastie. And later in the podcast, we'll have a special guest joining us. Aye, if we can find a way to make him fit, then. Oui, uh, he's a big fellow, no? He's a big fellow, aye. Let's go to the story, then. Chapter 15 The Landing Max noticed the color of the water change as they neared the shallows off the coast. He looked toward the land and saw the beautiful green grass on the hillside, and, of course, nice dry sand at the water's edge. He felt a jolt of energy go through him as they neared the end of their channel crossing. They were landing on a beach called Normandy. Max felt this was a place full of destiny. Al looked up from his distasteful bath, licking the salt off his fur. Land! Land! We're almost there! Tis the most beautiful sight I ever saw! Aye, lad, we're almost there, Max replied, wearing a fake smile for Al's sake. He moved up further on Craddock's head and whispered to him, Craddock, I think we got a problem. I'd say so, dear boy. This is as far as I can go. The tide is high and rushes quickly into the beach at Normandy, but it will soon retreat. I'm afraid I can't bring you any closer, Craddock explained, trying to keep his voice low. He understood the value of not giving Al unsettling news before it was time. Al's ignorance was bliss for all. Kate joined Max on Craddock's head, clearly recognizing something was up. She looked back at Al with a smile before whispering to Max, So what is happening then? Seems we have a wee problem, lass. Craddock can't take us any further into shore, and tis a bit far for us to swim, Max said, turning to Kate. Uh, Too late. Al was right behind her. 
I knew I shouldn't have gotten on this whale beastie. I should have taken me chances with them wolves. Whatever will we do, I'll be lost forever to the sea, cried Al. Hush, laddie, if you would stop the whining, I could think of a way to get us off Craddock and on to shore, Max scolded, pacing back and forth on top of the whale. Don't even think about calling any more friends of yours, like dolphins or sea turtles, to take us to shore. I'm done with rides, I tell you, done with them, cried Al, dramatically holding his paw over his eyes. Al, old boy, do me the favor and take a step slightly to the right, please, Craddock said, drawing curious looks from Kate and Max. Al, thinking Craddock might be uncomfortable for some reason, obliged and slowly took a step left. Excuse me, old chap, I meant to my right, Craddock corrected. Al took a step in the other direction. Another, if you would, most kind, Craddock said again. Al took one more step, his face growing more puzzled. Max, unable to take any more of this strange behavior, said, Craddock, tis no time for games. No, one step forward, my good man, Craddock said, ignoring Max. Al obeyed. Craddock, if you hadn't noticed, we have a situation here, Max shouted, but before he could complete his sentence, the moment Al took the last step forward, he positioned himself right over Craddock's blowhole. Al went flying high into the sky. Ah! Al screamed as he flailed his limbs in midair. But soon he fell right at the shore's edge in the soft, wet sand. Al started grinning from ear to ear, wet sand all over his face, as he scooped up the sand in his arms, trying to give it a hug. He rolled his back in the watery sand, happy to be on land. Max and Kate were astonished at Al's sudden departure and started laughing at the humorous scene. They also felt relief. Craddock had figured the best way for them to reach the shore. Uh, now, Max, would you kindly take the young lady's paw? Craddock asked. I believe I can assist you both at the same time. Max and Kate paused for a moment, then also positioned themselves over the blowholes. Craddock, how can I ever thank you enough for all you've done? You've been a grand friend, said Max. I was utterly delighted to help, old boy. I'll be helping others, of course, I'm sure, replied Craddock. Kate kissed Craddock on the head. I'll miss you. Thanks for everything. You're welcome, dear lass. And Kate, you and Max be careful once you get ashore. The tide rolls in quickly on this beach. Don't let it catch you, Craddock instructed. Cheerio now, my merry little band. Go find where that fire cloud leads. Ta-ta. Craddock then let out another whoosh. Max and Kate went flying into the air on the large spray of water. Kate was laughing, but Max shut his eyes tight, not wanting to see the deep water that they were flying over. The two landed with a thud in the shallow, watery sand. Max and Kate turned to wave at Craddock as he winked his large eye and slapped his tail on the surface of the water to say farewell before sliding back into the depths of the sea. There's none like him. Max said, as he watched the water swirl where Craddock went under the waves. He had been the right way indeed. 
Max and Kate walked through the soggy, soft sand. The tide was rolling in quickly, and they had quite a distance to cover before reaching dry sand. If they didn't get moving, they could be in trouble. Max and Kate picked up speed, passing Al, who was still rolling around in the wet sand. Come on now, Al. Get a move on before the water gets you, said Max, not looking back, but striving to get to dry land. Kate looked back and saw the water coming in even faster. Al wasn't going to be able to outrun the tide if he didn't get up and moving. Al, get up! Hurry! The sea is coming in! If you don't get moving, it's going to take you back out to sea! Those magic words woke Al out of his dreamy glee. He sat up and saw a surge of rushing water nipping at his paws. He jumped up and started running. His paws were sinking in the sand at first, but finally he made his way to firmer sand. Kate grinned at Max as Al came bolting past both of them. Al was not about to let the sea reclaim him. Up he went onto the dry sand, but he didn't stop running. Up he went to the green hillside. Up, up, up to the top of the cliff he went, not stopping to look where he was. Al disappeared from view into the countryside. Max and Kate came out of the water and shook off their wet coats. Max collapsed on the warm, dry sand and exclaimed, Eehee! We made it, lass! He proceeded to roll in the sand, wiggling his back as if to become one with the land once more. Kate grinned and said, Aye, we did. And it's all thanks to you, me brave Max. I'll follow you anywhere. Max stopped rolling and looked at Kate. They sat for what felt like an eternity, just looking at each other feeling gratitude for their safe journey, feeling the warmth of the sun warming their wet fur, but feeling even greater warmth from the love that now grew inside their hearts for one another. Kate, I never known a lass so strong and beautiful. You might think this is too early for me to ask. We haven't known each other long, but Bonnie Caitlin Maitland? Would you think about being me... Forever, lass? asked Max, eyes full of warmth and hope. Kate's heart leapt. Max was asking her to be his. She looked at this brave Scotty dog who had captured her heart. I, me love, I will be your forever, lass. Maximilian Braveheart the Bruce, I do. The two dogs put their heads together and nuzzled in the warmth of their love. Up above, the fire cloud stopped to hover over them, as if approving of this new pair of forever loves. Max and Kate had landed safely on the other side of the sea. Their hearts had landed safely in the love of each other. And all was right with their world. Oh, that was sweet, Max. Aye, aye, all right then. Anyway, we don't want to talk about that now, do we? We want to welcome the hero of Chapter 15 himself, all the way from the deep blue sea. Put your flippers and your paws together for Mr. Craddock the Whale. Uh, bravo. Uh, we had to make special arrangements for Mr. Craddock. Aye, we found out he wouldn't fit in their studio. In fact, the studio would fit inside of him. Anyway, so we're trying to reach him on a two-way radio system. He's somewhere far away. 
Yes, he's in a remote place uh, somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, we think. Uh, but for some reason, we're having a wee bit of technical difficulty. Uh, he's not coming in there, lass. Uh, did you uh, did you monkey there with the dooflatchy then? The what? Uh, maybe you'd wiggle the whatchamacallit there. Perhaps I can help. Ah! Would you stop sneaking up on us then? Well, I can help. What channel do you have it on? The channel I always listen to. The French channel. Well, there's the problem. You need to switch it to the English channel. <laughs> Get it? The English channel. <laughs> right? Craddock? Uh, 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 Craddock? Oh, hello, th- th- there you are. Oh, good show, Max and Liz. Um, I helped. Well, so you did, old chap. Uh, well done. Fine. So, how are my dear friends Max and Liz? We are well. How are you, Craddock? Oh, jolly good. I've been on holiday in the Caribbean. Oh, which holiday is this? Oh, I forgot. You're British. You get your holidays and your vacations all mixed up, we? Oui? I can assure you it's uh, quite intentional, dear. But uh, no matter. Uh, how can I help you two? Well, we were thinking back to the trip you took us on when Kate and Al and me were chasing after the fire cloud. And your uh, unique uh, method of delivering your cargo? Oh, I believe you're referring to when I gave them the old heave-ho, what? We. Oui. I would have loved to have seen that landfall. <laughs> landfall indeed. The old blowhole worked wonders that day. How did you know it would work? I beg your pardon? How did you know we'd fly that far to land on the land? Um, well, okay. Time for two confessions, I suppose. Uh, I didn't know, actually, not for certain. What? You mean to tell me you're just guessing, then? You're just shooting from the hip? Uh, Max, he doesn't have hips. You know what I mean. Run about it, Craddock. Well, it's it's not like I'm in the habit of shooting little animals to shore, of course. Uh, there's not a lot of call for that sort of thing, you know. Uh, I actually had very little choice, you see. I, I was uh, keenly aware that you chaps were following the maker's instruction, so I simply asked him what I was to do. And, well, I had to trust that he would give me the strength to uh, uh, stick the landing, as it were. And he surely did. Uh, quite right, my lady. Oh, the maker is so good. Uh, well, and so are you, Monsieur Craddock. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, well, you're quite welcome, but I am afraid I must take my leave. I'm, I'm scheduled to go snorkeling this afternoon after tea, you see, and then uh, a bit of hang gliding after that. You're going hang gliding. Yes, that uh, may be overstepping my bounds. What? Well, then perhaps I'll just stick to uh, windsurfing. Oh, oh, I do so love being on holiday. <laughs> well, then, uh, ta-ta. Au revoir, Monsieur Craddock. All right, Max, uh, can we put this back on the French Channel now? Uh, whatever you like, Kitty. But first, we've got time for another wee chapter, and we're going way back in time again, as Noah hears the story of a special garden. From his father Lamech, and the only man to ever live in that special garden, Adam. Chapter 16 Eden Noah stoked the fire again, adding a few more sticks as his mind raced. His father had told him so many remarkable things today. He was overwhelmed with the responsibility before him. His great father, Adam, had named the animals. Now Noah would be responsible for saving them. I must get back to work while there is still light, 
and you need to rest, said Noah as he knelt down by Lamech. There is so much more to tell that I must tell, Lamech protested. Noah adjusted the blankets over his aged father. I'll return in a little while, father. Lamech grabbed Noah's arm and shook his head. I must tell you. As Adam and young Lamech continue walking down a wooded path, Adam suddenly stops. Why did we stop, father? Adam takes a deep breath and sighs. I've not been here in a very long time. But where are we? Lamech persists, looking around. We're at the beginning, Lamech. We're at the garden, Adam responds, a sad look in his eyes. Lamech's mouth drops open in disbelief. He whispers, Will he be here? Will he walk with me like he walked with you? Adam doesn't answer. Great father, will he be with us? Lamech continued. Adam looks down into Lamech's pleading eyes. He is always with us. But will he walk with us? The young boy asks. Adam sighs once more and looks back toward the garden. It's your choice. He motions with his walking stick to move onward. Lamech follows, slowly, cautiously. The young boy whispers, I don't understand. There are rules, young Lamech. Observe from a distance. We may approach, but be careful not to get too near, Adam explains. Before Lamech can respond, Adam has made his way around the outcropping of rocks, and there before them is the Garden of Eden, a vast expanse of green like Lamech has never before seen, flowers of every kind imaginable in bloom. Full, healthy shrubs line the paths. A crystal-clear river runs through the garden, its banks flanked by gently swaying reeds, humming in the wind. At the grand entrance to the magnificent garden stands a fierce-looking angel, wielding a fiery sword. He swings it back and forth as a skilled swordsman, sparks flying each time as he cuts the air. Lamech stands in awe never having seen such an incredible sight, when a pair of hummingbirds flit around his head. The boy laughs and jumps, while Adam laughs with delight as the young boy half-heartedly tries to catch them. But Adam's laughter turns into caution, as Lamech has inadvertently approached the entrance to the garden. Lamech yells in pain and clutches his face. He races back to Adam, throwing his arms around the old man, burying his face in Adam's robe. Lamech, let me see, Adam says urgently. Lamech slowly raises his face and looks into the eyes of Adam. A seared mark appears under Lamech's right eye. He had neared the angel and suffered the consequences of the sparks from the fiery sword. I didn't mean to, father. Adam drops his head and clutches the young boy. I understand, Lamech, the old man says as he looks at the garden where he once dwelled. A tear runs down Adam's cheek. I understand. The angel continues to wave his sword and the hummingbirds 
continue their play. Hmm, that was a very serious, very poignant uh, way to end chapter 16, and the first section of this book. But, of course, uh, every great story must include some uh, uh, difficult scenes. Well then, lass, this might be a grand time to check in with Miss Jenny Cody and let her explain some of the meaning behind Lamech's question. Will he walk with us? And Adam's response, it's your choice. Uh, Miss Jenny? Liz, you are right, as usual that every great story must include some difficult scenes because that's what life is like, isn't it? All of us have difficult scenes in our lives. And this particular scene in Eden is likely the most difficult scene in the entire human story. It certainly was Adam's most difficult scene, I can imagine. The moment when he decided to not walk with the Maker in the garden and to go his own way, he and Eve... And so, Max, you wanted to know the meaning behind Lamech's question, will he walk with us? And Adam's response, it's your choice. That is an offer that the Maker gives to you and me every day. No, we can't walk in person like we did with him physically in the Garden of Eden. How beautiful that must have been to walk with the Maker. Of course, we got a glimpse of it, didn't we, when... The disciples and those who met Jesus were able to walk with him physically. And until the day we can do that again with him in heaven, we have a choice here on earth to walk with him in our hearts and how we live our lives. You know, the beautiful thing that Jesus did after Adam and Eve blew it in the garden with the fall because the maker gave them free choice. Jesus offered a new way to walk with him that's different, but even more powerful in some respects, because when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he comes to indwell us, meaning he lives in our hearts. And that means we're walking with him 24-7. And it is an incredible, amazing gift that he's given us. You know, God, his heart was broken with Adam's and Eve's decision to choose their path to walk rather than the one that God had chosen for them. But yet he offers such grace, and that grace is through Christ to say, hey, will you walk with me? Let me walk with you throughout your entire life every day, and I'll show you exactly the best things for you and choices that would be wise to make and things that you should not do to protect you. Because after all, when God told Adam and Eve not to eat from that one particular tree, that was for their good, not to keep them from having something good. So I hope that answers your question, and I hope that will be a question that you answer for yourself. Will you walk with him, and will he walk with you? He wants to, but will you walk with him every day? I choose to. And I hope you will, too. And I choose to as well. Thank you, Jenny. Well, we've concluded the first section of the Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud. With the help of a whale, a couple of seagulls, and a wise old mountain goat, Max, his new friend Al, and his new forever lass, Kate, (laughs) 
have made it to the shores of Normandy in France. And we've heard some of Noah's story, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In our next episode, we begin section two of our story, and we'll start by discovering a different garden, a very personal garden. And we'll see our band of animals growing by leaps and bounds and uh, feathers flying. <laughs> Don't miss it. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, and the Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud was written by Jenny L. Cody. To purchase your copy of the Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud on audiobook, log on to audible.com. And for all the amazing books by Jenny L. Cody, the entire collection of the Epic Order of the Seven, log on to Jenny's website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. That's epicorderofthe7.com. See you next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thanks for joining us. Have a grand day. Au revoir, mes amis. Thanks for listening.